This morning we're going to be back in Matthew 13 where we left off last week on the parables. Um, Let me pray for us as you turn there to Matthew 13. Father, thank you for your grace to us this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and that your spirit will be here with us and let it be true and good, the things that you'd have us to hear and that you would keep my mouth true and good to say them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're going to continue on then uh, with two more parables this morning. Um, And you can kind of look at these parables uh, that you've looked at already. So there's the parable of the sower who sows the seed. Some falls on the road and doesn't sprout up at all. Some falls on rocky ground, sprouts up but is quickly scorched. And some falls in thorny ground and is squeezed out by the cares and the pressures of life. And some falls on good soil and brings forth 160 and 30-fold. And then last week we looked at the parable of the tares or the parable of the weeds, that there are those that are within the body of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that grow up with us and look like the rest of us, but at the end will be gathered together and burned uh, in an unquenchable fire in hell at the last judgment. And then these next two uh, parables, which are the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of leaven, Um, give us a picture of how God's kingdom will expand. So if you think of it this way, the last two parables were telling us that there will be those among us who are not true followers of Christ. And so you you can become disheartened that that is true, and it can be discouraging to think that there are those among us who are not actually of us, right? This is the message that John tells us in 1 John. They said they were of us, but when they left us, we knew that they had never been a part of us to begin with. But then these next two parables give us comfort to know that the kingdom of heaven is absolutely unstoppable. That nothing can rise up against it. Not the worst of false converts, not the most weeds that we have ever seen in a garden, but it will bear fruit. Now, I'm from northern Indiana, and the soil has been a challenge for me as I've moved south for a few years. Um... You all, most of you, have grown up around this soil, so you're kind of used to it. I'm used to the soil of northern Indiana. And so I'm going to just give you an example of this. Uh, several years ago, I planted a garden, and I did a fresh till. So it was grass and weeds and flowers. I did a fresh till, took multiple passes, you know, to grind up everything. And then I planted a whole bunch of stuff potatoes and corn and carrots and onions and cabbage and I don't remember what all. And, and then promptly didn't do much of anything to the garden. Um, but because it's the soil of northern Indiana, everything grew anyway and we had a whole bunch to eat out of the garden even though it was completely filled with grass and weeds. Down here in southern Indiana, you can't do that. Um, if you plant something in the soil of southern Indiana without taking proper care of it, it will absolutely die. Um, because it's full of clay, and so the soil matters. And so I was just thinking about that this week, that uh, we can take heart that even with weeds and tares sown amongst it, that the good soil, where the seed is actually planted and it's good seed, will bear fruit because it's actually good soil. It's not like the clay of southern Indiana that requires so much work. It's the good soil of northern Indiana, where I kale from. So that's That's all I have to say about that. Um, uh, But this morning, I I hope to give us some encouragement that (laughs) God is 
with us even amidst those things. And not just with us, but the kingdom of God is beyond powerful. That despite the fact that there are tares and weeds, despite the fact that there is, there is seed sown and it falls in rocky and thorny soil, that the kingdom of heaven is absolutely going to win the day. And so I want to start with that and then let's read together Matthew 13, verses 31 to 33. So he, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so you have these two uh, kind of paralleling parables on the edge of the other two. You have the truth that the seed of the gospel will go out and it will actually bring forth fruit even though some of it falls in rough grounds. The truth that the Son of Man will sow the seed, even and uh, his enemy will come and sow tares and weeds amongst it. And then you have these next two, that the seed of the gospel, like a mustard seed, will grow into a great tree that outshades all the rest of the trees in the garden. And then, like leaven, it will grow until it expands and fills all the flower, that it won't just stay in one small speck. Several months ago, I guess about a year ago, um, our church uh, helped start and is part of a new presbytery called Evangel Presbytery. And one of the men who was there gave a talk. And he spoke out of Zechariah 7, where it says, Who has despised the day of small things? And that's really what these parables are saying. That the gospel seems like an impossible thing that it's going to actually take root, grow, and do anything, because it starts so small, right? The kernel of the gospel, Jesus Christ, dead, buried, raised again the third day. And you think, what effect can that have on the world? How can that actually affect anything? And yet, if you read through the New Testament, you see that it was a cataclysmic change in the world. After Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, after he ascended on high, there were, do you know how many men gathered in the upper room waiting for the Spirit to come? 120. They would fit easily in this room. 120 men gathered, waited in the upper room. After Jesus had died, was buried, resurrected, ascended on high, they're waiting, they're praying. And then the day of Pentecost comes. The Spirit flows in ignites the hearts of men, and thousands are added in a single day. And it was a small thing, right? A very small thing. Thousands added in a day out of these 120 gathered and praying. And again, you could go back even further and think of just the 11 apostles who were left after Judas betrayed. Very small gathering, and yet the apostles' influence has been not just then, but now completely worldwide. You just think of the effects of what has happened since the resurrection of Christ, since his ascension into heaven. And it is 
almost unbelievable to think of how Christianity has affected the world. It has truly grown up and dwarfed all other kingdoms. All other kingdoms are small. They're localized. Even the greatest of the Roman empires didn't reach the whole world. And yet, Christianity will eventually cover the entire earth. All will be leavened with the leaven of the gospel, with the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to encourage you this morning with that. We, we tend to think of the work that we do to almost have no effect, um, even if we wouldn't ever say it out loud. And so I've been thinking about you here, Jasper, right? You were a small people three or five years ago, 10 or 11 folks that left the PCUSA, came into the PCA. Now you're about double that, 20 people. And I think if you were honest and if I'm honest, that can be a little bit discouraging to think about. Here's this town of Jasper, 15,000 people. Here's this church that has a 200-year history And it can be very easy to be dismayed and discouraged that the work you're doing here isn't affecting anything because you don't see this cataclysmic event like Pentecost. You don't see, we preach the gospel one week and the next week we have so many people that the pews are filled to overflowing. And you want that and you expect that and you hope for that and then it doesn't happen. And then three years later, it still hasn't happened. And so this parable, I think, is for you. This is a parable that you can take to heart to know that everything that God does starts infinitesimally small. And that starts all the way back in the very beginning, right? In the beginning, God created man in his own image, male and female. And how many... Were there? Two. Two. And he told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And can you imagine what it was like to be Adam and Eve and be told, you two fill everything. Now, Adam and Eve had a lot going on. They were kicked out of, the eat, out of the garden, forbidden to enter and eat of the tree of life. And yet still that mandate, that demand of God, that command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, was on them. And so they began having children, right? And then what happens? Cain, their firstborn, kills Abel, their secondborn. Can you imagine not just the devastation of the fact that their sons were enemies and one of them killed the other? And so you have all of that, but also the fact that we were told to multiply and fill the earth and we can't even keep from murdering one another. And so then you think back to these other two parables that talk about the seed that falls on the hard ground, the seed that falls on the rocky ground, the seed that falls on the thorny ground. And you realize that's been going on since the beginning. Adam and Eve, after the garden, sowed seed. And one of those seeds was Abel, who was good soil. And one fell on hard ground, Cain. And yet, they continued to have hope. 
Because what did they continue to do? Have children. They had other sons and daughters. And then after Cain killed Abel, both Adam and Eve say something akin to, in chapter 4 of Genesis, God has given us another son in place of our son Abel, who was killed. And so Seth was born, and they continued to believe not just the command of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, but the promise of God that he would, in fact, help them be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so now fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 28, the very end. This is what Jesus says at the very end. And see if you see any parallels to this command. This is called the Great Commission. Even if you don't know it by heart, I'm sure you're familiar with it. So now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so there are some very clear parallels going on. Jesus gives this command to go to all the nations and to fill it not with an earthly seed, not with just children, but with gospel seed, with kingdom seed, with the actual life-giving fruit of the gospel. And he says, go and do it. And then he gives the additional promise, I am with you. And here is how we are encouraged through this parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Adam and Eve, two people. Today, just today, alive in the world, right as we sit here, over 7 billion people. And yet, there is still room. There is still more to be had, more to be filled. And so one of the ways that we are faithful as Christians is to have children And then the other way that we are faithful, not just to have physical children, but to have spiritual children, to implant the seed of life. And we have the good promise that the seed of the gospel, the seed of the kingdom, is like a mustard seed. And when you plant it, it seems tiny and unable to do anything. And then at the end, it outgrows all the other plants in the garden. And we have plants like this. You have plants that seem to just take over the whole garden, that even though you didn't mean for them to, they just do. Um, and it just depends on how you planted and how you sowed your seed. Um, I somehow managed to plant a whole bunch of cabbage that year that we had our garden, and it seemed like all I could find was cabbage for about six weeks, uh, and we didn't eat that much cabbage. And... So it just seemed kind of ridiculous. So we began to freeze cabbage to keep it. And it just seemed like cabbage was everywhere. And this is how the kingdom is. We don't tend to think of it that way because we see all the different ways that there's folks who fell on rocky, seed that fell on rocky soil and seed that fell on the ground. And we think of all the tares and the weeds that are in our midst. And we can easily become discouraged that as we look around, The church does not seem like she has power 
The church does not seem like she is growing beyond all the other things. Especially if we think of just in our little society of America and just everything that happens around us, right? We see the influx of uh, sexual revolution that has affected even churches, right? This is part of the PCUSA, part of the difficulties that you saw within her. And you think, what? what is going on? Is there any hope? And so the first thing, which we talked about last week, is that Jesus says through his parables, don't be surprised when there are wicked people among you, when there are weeds and tares among you. Don't be surprised at it. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It has weeds in it. And then after he tells us that, he gives us a significant uptick in courage and hope. He doesn't just say it's going to have weeds and you're going to have to deal with folk seed that falls on the rocky ground. He says beyond this, the seed of the kingdom, the seed of the gospel is going to grow until it overtakes everything else and that the birds of the air find their nests in it. And so we know that God starts with very small things. He starts with Adam and Eve. He starts with the 12 or the 11 after his death, burial, resurrection, and then the 120 before the day of Pentecost. And now we see the effects of the kingdom across the entire globe. We're here in America, if we've been here very long, because of the kingdom, right? America, what we think of as the founding of America, happened because the kingdom came. They were being persecuted in foreign lands, They tried to escape at once, didn't really work out, so then they crossed the sea. They came here, and they began to worship. And most of the founding fathers were Presbyterian or Congregationalist. They were believers. They were Christians. We live in part of the tree that has expanded across the world. And we tend not to think of it because the tree looks fairly unhealthy where we sit. We think, look at all these weeds, look at all these tears, and we lose hope. Or we look and say, look how small we are. What good can come of it? And God says, that's how I work. I take the small seed and I make the big tree. I take the seemingly impossible and I make it possible. I take leaven and I work it in until the leaven has overtaken the whole bread. Uh, My family, you know, if you've seen me, you can imagine that the rest of my family, also a little on the rotund side of things. We love to eat bread in my family. Uh, At Thanksgiving, my grandma Helt used to have this huge Thanksgiving, 150-ish people, uh, all in her home. She'd rent out a second stove for a week beforehand, cook all the food. She was a state champion pie maker, so we had like pies galore. We had, you know, the regular like turkey, ham, noodles. She made like four different kinds of stuffing. Just an unbelievable feast. And then one of the things she made was homemade yeast rolls. Just a basic, uh, the red Betty Crocker, you know, the, that cookbook. It's that recipe. And then it's, I forget what the style of roll it is. Do you remember? Parker? 
Parker House? No, it's not Parker House. Anyway, this certain type of roll, and she'd make hundreds of rolls. Hundreds and hundreds of rolls. And when I was young, I used to obviously want to eat all of the rolls and none of the rest of the stuff until we got to pie. Um, and so I, I ate and I ate and I ate rolls, and one of my uncles got in late and didn't get any. And so the next year, I was only allowed to have like four rolls or something like that. And so I had like my cousins stealing rolls for me so I could eat more rolls. And then years later, my grandma died when I was 18, and my dad took over having Thanksgiving. And we reduced it down to just his brothers and sisters and their kids, which is about 60 people. And so it's a much smaller affair, but I love the rolls. So I and my dad began making the rolls every year. And it took us a couple of years to figure out what was going on. The first year, we didn't realize how small you had to start. And so our rolls were about this big. <laughs> and so everyone got about a half of a roll each uh, because they were loaves of bread. Uh, but at years after year, we began to get better and better at it. But I would make, I would start at like 8 or 9 in the morning, I would make 400-ish rolls on one day for Thanksgiving. And it has been a tradition... For she died in 2002, so 18 years now I've been doing this. Every We celebrate the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And it's unbelievable what can happen if you have live yeast as opposed to dead yeast. I don't know if you've ever experienced yeast that doesn't work. I see some laughter from Wilma and Hilma. That's, I feel like you may know what I'm talking about. So you can mix up the yeast and you're supposed to Start it with warm water, and it's supposed to, you know, make that froth. And one year, I don't remember when this was. This was probably 10 or 12 years ago. I stir up the warm water with the yeast, and I go and I mix the rest of the stuff up, and I go back to get my yeast to dump it in. And I'm like, something's wrong. Something's wrong here. There was a little bit of bubbling, but usually it's just like frothing over and smells like yeast, you know, just... That pungent yeast smell. I was like, what? Something's wrong. And so I used it, and it wasn't the best success of rolls, if you can imagine. They were very small and kind of chewy and hard. And I began to realize that yeast actually is a very important part of making a good roll. Yeast, if it's not alive, does nothing. And yeast, if it's not mixed in, does nothing. You could have, if you decided, because I make so many rolls, I have multiple lumps of dough, right? Because our, my mom's mixer can only handle so much, and it starts, like, grinding and shaking. And so you have to make multiple batches. And if you forget something like yeast in one of those patches, not going to work out. But if you remember the yeast, you have this light, pillowy dough that tastes wonderful, Makes your food taste better. Yeast is unbelievably important to making good bread. Without it, you have hard bread. Unpleasant bread. Well, you can have okay bread without yeast. But mostly, you think of yeast, you think of good bread. And Jesus says, the kingdom is like yeast. It takes hard tack bread and turns it into soft, pillowy dough. And it goes through the whole thing. There's no part that isn't touched. She, it says, 
when he tells the parable, he says, this woman mixed up three mixtures of flour and it leavened the whole batch. This is what the gospel is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A very small thing. And yet, when it's introduced, everything comes alive. And so I want to encourage you here this morning. It's been a difficult couple of weeks, I can imagine. I don't know all the details, um, but a transition from, from a pastor to not having a pastor is difficult. And it's hard. And it can be even doubly hard when you've already went through hard times for the last five years. You've been small. You've wondered, is God going to actually do anything here? And God says, my kingdom will grow. It will come. It is an unstoppable reality. And that doesn't mean that in our lifetimes, this church is going to be 5,000 people. It does mean that your work here to preach the kingdom, to teach the kingdom, will grow. God's kingdom always grows. And it starts very, very small. And so I want to encourage you all. This is not out of God's plan that you are small. It's not out of God's plan that you're pastorless. It's not out of God's plan for anything to happen to this church here in Jasper. One thing that we know is that the kingdom will grow. It will come. It will fill the earth. There is hope. There is glad tidings to be told. The fact that we are sitting still in a church gathered together that still has its history 200 years ago in tiny little, however many people started that little church. It was a, I've read some of your historical documents now. All right, it was basically a circuit church. So, you know, probably about 10 people came. That was probably about the size of it 200 years ago. And it's been bigger and it's been smaller And it's small again. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So take heart. Don't be discouraged in your work. Do the hard work of preaching and teaching the kingdom. Find a man who will come in and do that with you, for you, alongside you, who will sow the seed and who won't be discouraged and who will lead you on knowing that the kingdom is coming. And it's coming on with the full weight and power of the authority of Christ. And his kingdom will never fail. So be encouraged. Don't lose heart. Even in this second difficult trial in three or five years, don't lose heart. God is aware. God knows. And God says, my kingdom comes. Period. And it grows. So be faithful, do the hard work, and trust that God is a faithful and true God. Because he is. He is. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing our closing hymn.